Have you ever wrestled with doubt? Have you ever wrestled with the walls, the self-imposed, self-built walls, walls that you yourself constructed of fear and shame, confusion and doubt? Have you ever felt them closing in on you? If you have, then you will have a lot in common with the person we're gonna talk about today. His name is Thomas. He was one of the disciples. And what we're gonna find out today is that much of what you've heard about this incredible, very interesting disciple uh, is maybe not the full story. I think there's a lot more to Thomas than we ever realized. Let's take a look in the Bible now. If you'll go to the book of John, we're gonna go to chapter 20. We're in the Aftermath series right now. We're looking at the 40 days that Jesus Christ was on the earth between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And those 40 days are packed with incredible moments like the one we're gonna look at today. Last week, we saw that Jesus appeared in a room with his disciples, and they were elated to see the risen, resurrected Christ, and it changed them forever. They were confused and scared, fearful of their own lives. They were hiding out, locked in a room, and Jesus walked through the doors. That's right, closed, locked doors. Jesus now has a resurrected body, and he's doing things that uh, we would not have thought possible, but Jesus uh, is doing things that are miraculous. And as he walks through those walls and those doors, he appears and he says incredible words, comforting words, powerful words to his disciples. He says, shalom to you. And they are so excited. But there's one person missing in the room, and his name is Thomas. The Bible lets us know he wasn't there that day. He is in his own self-imposed prison of fear and shame and doubt. Let's take a look at the biblical narrative here in the book of John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. It says, now Thomas was one of the 12 called the twin and he was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas will forever go down in history as a doubter because of those words. The problem is all of the disciples could have easily been seen as doubters. They all had their confused moments. They were all doubting. None of them expected the resurrection, including Thomas. But he's the only one that articulated his doubt so clearly, so concisely. And you can almost see the walls closing in on Thomas. He is he is in a room with those disciples, but the walls are not just the physical walls around him. The walls closing in on Thomas are self-built. Uh, he's confused, he's scared, he's tired, and he is doubtful. And he demands to see evidence, to see Jesus with his physical eyes. But the amazing thing about this story is that Jesus is about to show Thomas that he's not just gonna open his physical eyes, Jesus is about to open the eyes of Thomas' heart.
So who was the real Thomas? You know him as Doubting Thomas. Is that fair? Is that really who he was? I think there was far more to Thomas than we realize. In fact, let's go backwards in the biblical narrative in the book of John and see some other places where we can find out who the real Thomas was. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 11. We're gonna begin in verse six. Now what has happened here is a really good friend of Jesus, his name was Lazarus and he has died. And he has found out that Lazarus is dead. And look what happens next. Verse six says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So at this point, Lazarus is just sick. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? See, what had happened is Jesus was getting closer and closer to his moment, the moment of going into Jerusalem and being crucified. He was on the cusp of this. The disciples didn't know the narrative, but Jesus did. Jesus had his calendar. He knew the timeline. And the Jews had already tried to kill Jesus and they were ready and able and capable to do it as soon as he came back near them. Uh, so the religious leaders were prepared and the disciples knew this, and so they do not wanna go near Jerusalem. They know that Jesus and they themselves could be in big trouble, so they don't wanna go. Verse nine, Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. In other words, Jesus says, I'm not hiding. I'm not going into hiding here. I am out in the open. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. This shows you the sovereignty of Jesus. He knew the moment Lazarus had died. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. In other words, they still don't wanna go. They are terrified of what awaits them uh, where Lazarus is, which is Bethany, right outside of Jerusalem. They know this is dangerous. Verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant just taking a rest and sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Now, here you're gonna get an insight into who Thomas was. It's quick. It's just a little nugget, if you will, but it's powerful because the disciples do not wanna go. In fact, they're kind of beating around the bush here. They're kind of shuffling their feet. They don't really wanna go where Jesus is wanting to go because it's dangerous. And here are the words of Thomas. He says, verse 16, Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Does that sound like doubting Thomas to you? That sounds like bravery to me. What we get here is an insight into Thomas. Thomas is not simply doubting Thomas. He was a lover of Jesus. He loved Jesus Christ, followed him with his whole life and was so committed to him that in that moment, on that day, he was the bravest of all the disciples. He stands up and says, I don't know if you guys are going, but I'm going wherever he does, even if it costs me my life. And he knew that it could, and they knew that it could. Thomas was going wherever Jesus went. And then we see at the Last Supper, another insight into the mind and heart of this really fascinating disciple. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 14, and we'll begin here in verse three. Jesus is talking at the Last Supper to his disciples, and he begins to talk about the fact that he's going to go away. 
He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to myself that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. And then Thomas speaks again, verse five. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered him. You may have not realized one of the most famous verses in the Bible is an answer to Thomas, verse six. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And there's Thomas again. What do you hear there? Do you hear doubting Thomas? I don't. What I hear here is Thomas loves Jesus. And he hears his, his Lord, his, his master, he hears his great rabbi, his teacher, saying that he's going to go away, and his heart cannot handle it. And he's the one that raises his hand at the Last Supper, and he says, Jesus, where are you going? I need to know where you're going. In other words, Thomas has full intentions of going wherever Jesus goes. I want you to see there's a lot more to Thomas than we realize. But indeed, Thomas does slip because what happens next is Jesus is arrested and the Bible tells us the disciples scattered and that includes Thomas. It includes this man who said he would die with Jesus. So now what we get is Thomas with the disciples and they're telling him, we've seen the risen Lord and Thomas cannot handle it. He loved Jesus and feels like he's failed him. And there's three main things that Thomas is dealing with. There's three main walls holding Thomas in. Those walls don't hold the other disciples yet because, or anymore because they had seen the risen Jesus. Thomas hasn't seen him yet, and he demands evidence. And the walls holding him in, first of all, is fear. Like the other disciples were, he's terrified for his own life. It's why he fled the scene to begin with. He was terrified of, of what the Romans could do to him, and now he knew what they would do after seeing what they did to Jesus. Thomas had been traumatized by the events of Jesus' torture and scourging. Uh, The man he had followed with his whole life had been beaten to shreds, mutilated by uh, the Romans, and he was dead in Thomas's eyes, in Thomas' mind. And those walls of fear are closing in on him, but not just fear, also shame. Thomas is absolutely ashamed of himself. He had abandoned Jesus. When he had spoken so loudly that he would die for Jesus and that he would go wherever Jesus went, the one he loved so much, when he needed Thomas the most, Thomas ran for his life, looked out for himself. Thomas is living in a prison of shame here. Thomas realized that when the rubber hit the road, when the heat turned up, he had much more bark than he did bite when it came to his faith. And it shattered him. Thomas had let Jesus down. And not only that, Thomas is is shameful of the fact that that he doesn't know what to do now. He's confused. He doesn't know where to turn, where to go. And the one he followed was dead. And And then finally, he's trapped in his own doubt. Thomas now, because of fear and confusion, because of trauma and because of his own shame, It has dripped into a place of doubt. Thomas doesn't know what to believe right now. But all of that is about to change. But before it does, we have to realize that Thomas has in this moment become doubting Thomas. I've met and the folks who know me 
Will I discover a soul-saving love or just a turn up earth and below me? I'm a doubting Thomas. I took a promise, but I do not feel safe. All right, let's talk about doubt. What is doubt? Maybe we've misunderstood it a little bit. Uh, There's a couple of different views. In fact, C.S. Lewis, the great writer, uh, said this about doubt. He said there's two mistakes that we tend to make. You can be too liberal, too light uh, with the issue of doubt. And what this would do would almost give permission for us to stay in a state of doubt. And that can be very, very dangerous. But C.S. Lewis said we can also be too hard on doubt. Uh, making it to where all doubters uh, feel that if they ever have any kind of doubt that they should be shamed and that they immediately have turned on their faith uh, and they're not worthy of their faith and it creates a terrible experience. And C.S. Lewis says both are actually mistakes. So where should we land? Well, here at Three Circle, we think we should always land on the Bible. What does the Bible tell us about doubt? Well, the Bible seems to give us this idea that doubt actually is suspended between belief and unbelief. And we're going to see this play out in the story of Thomas. Thomas has not slid all the way to disbelief. 
but he's also not uh, believing yet for joy as the other disciples have. Thomas is demanding evidence. He's demanding physicality. He wants to see Jesus. He wants to see the, the crucifixion wounds. He needs more evidence. He is suspended. So you could see doubt as a suspension. It's a place that you don't need to stay, but it is not a place that has to lead to a terminal spot. It, it doesn't have to be deadly, though it can be. So doubt in a biblical sense is something we should take seriously, but we should not always assume that doubt immediately means unbelief and that it immediately is terminal in nature. In fact, a great theologian, George MacDonald, says this, uh, doubt can be the knocks on the door from God himself, drawing you into a deeper faith. It's a drawing towards things in your heart and mind that are not yet, but soon must be. In other words, Thomas needed a deeper faith. So did the other disciples. And I bet most of us uh, here today, joining us online all over the world, I bet you have dealt with doubt. I know I have. And what I want you to understand today is doubt is always going to be a part of the experience of walking with God. It's always going to be a part of the journey of faith. It's not something that you have to go, oh my goodness, I had a doubt. I am now unworthy of my faith and I need to live in these self-imposed walls of shame the way Thomas did. You don't have to go there because doubt can actually become stepping stones to deeper faith, to stronger faith. But it is something you have to take seriously. In fact, if you look at verse 26, you'll see that Jesus is now going to appear and it looks like he's come for specifically Thomas. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. So now they're back in that room, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He liked to do that. And he said, peace be with you. In other words, he's repeating the same phrase, shalom to you. Jesus is back. But notice, eight days. Now, Jesus appeared to two uh, walkers on their way to Emmaus. He appeared to his other disciples. Why didn't he go to Thomas? Here's why. I want you to understand that Jesus treats us all very, very uniquely. He knows you. He knows his sheep. Thomas was a natural pessimist. A good guy, but a pessimistic guy. Could be negative. I had a skeptical side to him, like many of you. And it was just so hard for him to believe that this bad, bad story could actually have a happy ending. It was almost impossible for him to wrap his mind around. He was trapped inside the walls of his own shame and fear and guilt and confusion and skepticism. Because for some people, a happy ending's just too good to be true, and this one certainly was. In fact, Thomas's doubt is actually a great indication that the disciples didn't make this whole story up because Thomas did not want to initially believe that this could be true. Philosophically, uh, religiously, theologically, the Jews did not believe in the resurrection of one person in this way. This was not a part of, of, of their language. None of them expected this, uh, the least of which Thomas. He didn't expect a resurrection, and he was having a real hard time. And many of you may be having a hard time with it. Maybe you believe upon Jesus, but you're like that centurion in the Gospels where he said, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And you know what's beautiful is that Jesus is willing to go there with you. Jesus comes to Thomas, but he let him go through the process. He let him stew on it a little while. He was willing to let him go days of, of wrestling. Now, see, some people come to faith very quickly. Others, it's a journey. It was a journey for Thomas. 
And Jesus was willing to meet Thomas right where he was. See, doubt does not have to be an immediate slide to unbelief. It can be a step in the direction of a firm and life-changing faith. So Jesus meets Thomas right where he is, right there in that room, closed in, not just by physical walls, but by the walls of his fear and his doubt and his confusion and his shame. And, And Jesus still meets us right where we are. I don't know what you're going through today as you join us. I don't know what the walls closing in on you are. Maybe they've been closing in for years. Maybe you've been in a self-imposed prison of shame in the ways you have failed and your past keeps coming back up. Or maybe you're terrified of the future. Or maybe you just haven't wrestled down uh, whether you really want to place your life in the hands of this Jesus of the Bible. Jesus meets us right where we are. And sometimes it happens quickly, and sometimes it happens over eight days like it did for Thomas. But now we're going to see Jesus come into this room. He says, peace to you, shalom to you, to all of the disciples. And then he turns to Thomas. Look what the Bible says uh, here in verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And there it is. See, Thomas, in his doubt, was not all the way over on the side of disbelief yet, but he could have gone there. But he certainly wasn't on the side of belief yet. He was in that place we just discussed. He was suspended. It's like jumping in the air that moment before you start coming down. See, doubt needs to be taken seriously because it can go one of two ways. It it can go uh, towards disbelief, which would be a tragedy, but it could go towards belief, rock-solid faith. And Jesus calls that out in Thomas, and I believe he calls it out in us as well. When we doubt, it's something we need to look at. We need to take it seriously, but we need to always hear the words of Jesus. Notice what Jesus does not do here. Jesus does not berate Thomas. Jesus does not shame him. Jesus does not get angry with him. And instead, Jesus confronts him at the point of his doubt. Look at what he does, and Thomas gets a great opportunity here. Jesus says, I know what you want, Thomas. I know you're trapped in this suspension of doubt, and you're not disbelieving yet, but you could. Jesus warns him, don't disbelieve. Don't slide that other direction. Step towards me, Thomas. Step towards who I am. And Jesus invites him to do exactly what he requested, to touch the wounds, to touch his side. Jesus comes to us right where we are. And I don't know what you're struggling with today when it comes to doubt and fear and confusion and shame, but I know that the walls you've built cannot keep Jesus out. You can't keep Jesus from knocking on your door. And it just may be that the very doubts you've wrestled with for so long, it could be that they could be stepping stones to lead you to a place of life-changing belief in the resurrected Christ. Jesus says to Thomas, I am real. I am alive. You can touch me. You can experience me, and you can as well today. You can still experience the way Thomas did, the real resurrected Jesus of the Bible. But you have to take a step. You see, Jesus loved Thomas in his doubt, but he would not leave him in it. 
Jesus demanded, Thomas, you're going to have to make a choice here. Thomas, it's time to stop this eight-day suspension that you're in, this, this place of, 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 of fluidity, this place of being flaky and, and being tossed about by the waves. You're going to have to choose. Your doubt's either going to go towards disbelief or it's going to go towards belief. And Jesus always calls us to believe. Thomas, believe. Thomas, tear the walls down and believe. And I think today Jesus would say the same to us, to fully embrace who he is, the resurrected Jesus himself. And what does Thomas say next? Look what it says, verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Thomas, by the way, never touched those nail scars. He didn't have to put his hand in his side. The the narrative here is that when Thomas saw the resurrected Jesus, he hit his knees and fell in front of him. And Thomas makes, the guy we call Doubting Thomas makes what I think is one of the most clear, powerful, biblical, Christ-exalting professions of faith recorded in the entire Bible. He says, my Lord and my God. You see, Thomas got it. The the evidence of the resurrection standing in front of him alive and well said a few things. Number one, it said, this is my king. This is my Lord. Not just savior, he is now boss. He is king of my life. He falls before him like a servant before a king. But then there's a huge theological truth that comes out of Thomas' mouth. He says, you are God. He got it right. And that's true for all of us today, 2,000 years later. If Jesus Christ was dead and came out of the grave, then he is king and Lord, and he's also who he claimed to be. He is God. The resurrection changes everything. So Jesus met Thomas right where he was, and he will meet us there as well. Thomas now has been set free from the prison of his doubt and his shame, uh, his confusion and his fear. Let's look at the Bible and see how this incredible section of Scripture ends. Jesus said to him after his bold declaration of the sovereignty and the divinity of Jesus, uh, the, the lordship of Jesus in his own life. Jesus says to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is now talking to all of us because Thomas uniquely got to see the physical evidence of Jesus in front of him. And one reason is because Thomas is now going to be an authoritative witness to the world for Christ. This Thomas walks out of that room and he's never the same. He's now courageous. He's gonna go on to be martyred spreading the gospel across the world. He's going to be brutally murdered uh, for his faith, and he will do that courageously. Uh, There's still movements of of the church in places in the world because of Thomas' witness. It's amazing, right? But what about us? Jesus says, blessed are those who will believe, talking about all of us believers in the future, who don't get to see him. John tells this, verse 30, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in, in this book. Watch this. But these are written, so all the things John wrote in his gospel, these are written so that you may, and there's that word again, believe, to pull you from your doubt into rock-solid belief. 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. How can you have life in His name? By believing. And today, if you're a doubter, welcome. We all have been there. And we all sometimes wrestle with doubt. But doubt doesn't have to be a slow slide into disbelief. It can be a stepping stone to rock-solid faith. And I hope that'll happen for you today. When the Bible talks about belief, uh, the idea is the Greek word pestuo, and it means to sit down in. That's what it means. This chair in front of me is a really good-looking chair. I'm pretty sure it can hold me up. But I haven't truly trusted this chair until I sit in it. And many of you, you know all about Jesus. You've admired him. You've said, I love the story. I like the things about him. He seems awesome. He seems great. But you've never trusted your life with him. And today, today on this online broadcast of this message, I hope that you will believe upon Jesus. I hope that you'll allow the scriptures. Because listen, you may go, well, it's easy for Thomas. He got to see Jesus. But John comes right after that. The timing's perfect. And he tells us, we have written these things so that you might believe. What I'm telling you is the evidence given to you in the scriptures are enough to pull you out of the suspension of doubt into belief. And whether you've been a Christian for a long time, and maybe you've gotten up out of the chair in your doubt and confusion and fear, or maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, my hope is today you will do what Jesus said to Thomas. You will do what John said the Bible can lead you to do, that you will sit down in Jesus and believe. You've been told your whole life that seeing is believing. But this story of Jesus and Thomas teaches us a new lesson. Believing is actually seeing. 